Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey everybody, what's up? Welcome to another episode of A Dying Light. As always, I am your host, and we are getting knee-deep into the Eschatology series, finally. So, we will be talking today in essentially what should turn into a two-part show. Uh, We are going to be talking about um, premillennialism. And we're going to look at the two views of that. There is dispensational and historical. And this is a weighty topic. Um, there's a lot of complexity to it. And so I hope that through this series on these four views, uh, we can unpack this and make it ex- explain it in a manner that is easy and um, allow the chips to kind of fall into place where they will in terms of, you know, where you would put your view. Do you think um, pre-millennialism is your your ice cream, or do you want to go to, you know, amillennialism, which will be in another episode, uh, or post-millennialism? Whatever your flavor is, uh, I hope that unpacking all of this will help you understanding it better. Um, And I can just tell you before we really get into the crux of the show, I've spent a lot of hours researching these topics, and uh, I'm by far not an expert, but there is a ton of material out there, and there's a ton of sites that that will draw conclusions and um, write these charts and these maps, and they make it very elegant, and they, you know, connect all these little pieces of scripture and a lot of what I found is completely false, misleading, and um, definitely not a biblical take on the end of times. They use scripture, but they also are heavily influenced by what the world is doing. And so it really takes away from what they are trying to actually position. So 
I was thinking at the end of this entire series, once we go through the book of Revelation, uh, I might do a, a, a separate show before the finale, do a separate show solely on, you know, what the end of times is not. Because we will have positioned all of this material for you, and then we will do an episode on, like, you know, some of the falsehoods, some of the the conspiracy theories, things like that. Um, and I might get a couple people to join me on that show, because that way we can have kind of some dialogue, and we can talk about our experiences and things like that. So... That is something that I'm uh, in the process of planning. It's still going to be a ways out. Obviously, there's going to be four weeks um, of the views on the end of times, which will take us to the end of September. And then after that, we're going to do Old Testament eschatology. We're going to probably do a show or two that covers what does the Old Testament say about the end of times. Uh, and those that particular section that that phase if you would is going to um encounter and go into a lot of what we have talked about in these four episodes so we'll see a lot of that coming to light uh, or maybe making sense or maybe even you know allowing you to say well, i'm no longer this i kind of lean here now because this is what scripture is telling me and you know this is what i you know this is what my conscience is drawing me towards um, I'm going into this. I don't really hold a particular position. Um, I can tell you straight off, I don't believe that I am a dispensational premillennialist. That, I feel, is a little bit too far-fetched just by looking at what the basis of the notes are on it. So I can tell you that I don't lean there. I know some people do, and, and I'm going to treat all of these in the utmost respect that they are all possibly true. That is always my goal um, in this series is to just bring the information forward and allow everything to kind of just be presented for you. So before we get into um, this topic, as I said, I want to make it a two-parter. So what we're going to look at is the premillennialist um, viewpoint, and we're going to look at it in the historical and dispensational view. Uh, we're going to kind of just talk about it um, together. We're going to talk about the similarities and the differences. I thought about maybe splitting the show, like this episode is on the differences, and then this episode is solely on the, the similarities. I don't think we're going to get that. Um, more than likely, what it's just going to be is an all-encompassing you know, viewpoint of how these two interact with each other, what are the differences and what are the similarities. And we may just kind of stream this out and then I'll find a good cut point and then do part two on it. Um, as always, the premise is to keep this show at 45 minutes in terms of content because I don't want to be talking for two hours and you guys are like not having any idea uh, what's going on. So Again, um, some quick housekeeping things before we dip into this show. Uh, first is the Logos Bible promo. Um, make sure you go and get your copy. I don't. I know August has a big had a big promo as this episode is going to drop in September. Um, I don't know off the top of my head what September is going to have in store, so bear with me as I'm recording this a few weeks ahead of time. But 
you still get a discount if you use at minimum 10% discount if you use um, Undying Lights promo. So you go to uh, logos.com forward slash Undying Light and you can pick if you're a new member you get from pick five new books that go into your library at start and then you can just pick a basic package and you don't have to pay for anything or you can actually pick um, you know a set package based upon your denominational view and you will get uh, Bibles and commentaries and literature that are aimed at that particular denomination. So it's a really neat setup. Um, like I, my package in Logos is Reformed, so I have a ton of Reformed literature in my library, and uh, I can tell you it has been instrumental in my walk. Uh, it's also been a big help to me as I am building out this series because there is a ton of good books in there, and uh, there's just there's so much material available, and uh, it, it sometimes can be even overwhelming, um, but I absolutely love it because it allows you to sort by topic, it allows you to sort by, you know, the type of book that you want. Do you want a Bible? Do you want a commentary? Do you want just a regular book? Because there are books available that are digital that you can read from. It's mobile, so you can put it on your phone, your tablet, and use it as you go. Um, that's what I use primarily throughout my day is the mobile version. I can just pick up, pull up a commentary, answer a question, take a screenshot, send it to people. It's fantastic. So logos.com forward slash undying light. Make sure you get your copy because it's instrumental to everybody, even if you're not a, a seminary student, a pastor, or somebody in the ministry. If you're just a simple layperson or somebody who's wanting to expand their views on uh, and their knowledge of Christ, please check it out. It's really, really good. Uh, the second thing is for patrons, um, we're still doing a ton of stuff for them. So if you want to help support this ministry for a dollar a month, gets you access to all of the content that I do. You can give more if you, if you are in the position or desire to do so. Um, I don't ask or advocate. I don't have tiers set up on my patron page, so you don't have to give $10 to get so much stuff. Uh, what I just simply ask for is a minimum of a dollar to support this ministry, to keep us going forward because it helps pay for um, both Undying Light and A Matter of Truth's uh, uh, podcast page because we have to have it hosted, so we pay a monthly subscription to that. Uh, on top of the other services that I use in order to bring content to you as well. So everything that uh, the patrons do goes right towards supporting and paying for this ministry. I don't pocket anything. Uh, I don't take it as an income. Um, it's all solely to support and progress this ministry forward. So if you feel on your heart that you want to do that, by all means. Um, I've even had people do one-time gifts. So that can be something if you're interested in just doing a one-time gift. Uh, then I would include you into the patron conversation uh, and try to get you material um, on the side. So I have people who do that. They're not every month patrons, but they do a, a gift every couple of months or you know once a year or something. And then I keep them in loop of the material I do. So for instance, I do a bi-weekly Bible study with the patrons. So I get on um, a webcast, uh, usually using Zoom, and we discuss scripture. So we're going through the book of Mark right now. 
so every two weeks or every other week we do um, a section of Mark. We talk about it. We break it down. We examine it. And we get some really great conversations. On top of that, the patrons get the podcast episode a week in advance. I hand it to them on Monday. They get all week to listen to it. And then Friday, the episode obviously drops. So patrons get a little bit of a heads up. Uh, I also give them sermon notes. They get my sermons in advance before I make them public. And um, any other commentaries or work that I'm doing, I turn it over to them to read, examine, and uh and, and just enjoy before I turn it over to the general public. So dollar a month gets you access to all of that. And then on top of that, there's other stuff that I'm working on doing once school starts and hopefully once I go into full-time ministry. So the patrons are my the first front of people that get kind of uh, access to everything. So if you are a patron, my deepest thank yous go out to you. You have helped make this ministry where it's at. And you've helped grow it tremendously. So thank you so much. So those are the big housekeeping things. Um, now we get into this series. Uh, this I'm calling it, uh, I, I mentioned it on the episode of Heaven what, that I recorded with Anthony. Uh, I factored that I, in bringing this into like phases, right? So phase one was heaven, hell, and death. Phase two are the four views. Phase three is going to be the um, scripture section, I don't remember if I did a phase four, but um, Old Testament, New Testament, and then I said maybe Revelation might be its own phase. But essentially what I'm looking to do is just kind of, for my own mental use, this these four episodes this month of September are going to be in its own little nugget, if you would. So there's probably going to be a lot of connective workings in these views uh, they're just all based upon different points of when events are going to happen and how they will happen and how the book of Revelation kind of unpacks. Now, we will be going through Revelation separately uh, in light of the series because um, I want to unpack that book for everybody. Um, and uh, we will be doing a kind of a deep dive, not necessarily as deep as I've done with the Roman series, but we will be discussing um, kind of in sections of Revelation. Uh, we're not going to go through verse by verse, so just keep that in mind. Same thing as we do through the New Testament um, section and the Old Testament section. It'll be what are the verses and the sections of the that scripture talking about in terms of eschatology, the end of times, the coming, uh, the second coming of Christ. So here we are. We are starting pre-millennialism eschatology. So, this particular view is a literal interpretation of the end times. It primarily is focused on Revelation 19 to 20, and it holds it as a futuristic, progressive, chronological uh, view of the end of times. And so, when I say literal, it is... If the Bible says that they are taking it as a literal understanding of Scripture. So if we look at Revelation 19 to 20, I'm not going to go through all of these verses. I'm going to just highlight the sections. So 19 starts off with the multitude in heaven praises God. Then we have the marriage supper of the Lamb. We have the rider on the white horse. We have the thousand years in chapter 20. And then the judgment 
at the white throne. So this is where premillennialism is heavily focused on. It doesn't necessarily fully reside in these two chapters, but that's where they base a lot of their viewpoints on. Literally pulling out of this text. So the premillennialist uh, holds to kind of 10 points um, in their kind of overarching view. So they look at um, a rapture is going to happen. The church is going to be called away to Christ. These individuals will be uh, born-again Christians, and those who claim Christ as their Lord and Savior, they will be taken up, raptured, pulled out of the earth, and uh, they will reside with Christ in heaven. They will then look at uh, the rise of a single Antichrist. So this is the one who is going to come and take rule over the earth and will oppose Christians and Christianity. Now, this view does incorporate that after the rapture and with the rise of the Antichrist, there will be more people coming to Christ uh, during this period on earth. So it's not going to just be um, non, you know, Christ won't be preached, but there will be people that come to the truth and the knowledge of Christ during this time frame. So once the rise of the Antichrist happens, then there will be a seven-year tribulation. This is kind of unpacking the text from Revelation of all the plagues, the bulls, and the scrolls that are opened. Uh, so seven years of basically hell on earth and massive amounts of death and chaos. Uh, all the while, this gives light to the Antichrist coming in to take control to rule earth. Then we have, after the seven years, we have the coming, the second coming of Christ. With the second coming of Christ, he will um, engage the Antichrist. There will be the battle of Armageddon, the, the, the final battle between good and evil. And then once the winning uh, of the battle occurs, once Christ has defeated the Antichrist, he will cast him and Satan into the pit of fire. And then there will be this massive resurrection of the dead. And then there will be a thousand year reign of peace. And then the release of Satan and one final rebellion and then the final judgment. So that is kind of in a nutshell uh, what the premillennialist view of eschatology is. It does not you know, we didn't talk about time frames or anything like that other than the rapture and seven-year tribulation. But that is essentially how they view the end of times is going to go. So now, um, uh, and then, sorry, the final thing, it's actually an 11th piece, is the uh, after the final rebellion and the final judgment, there's the new heavens and the new earth, the eternal state. So, um, so now there's two views that kind of spill out of that premillennialist view. There's historic and dispensational. And they both have some similarities, and they both have a, a very distinct view on the end of times. So we will unpack these, um, and we will look at them in light of how they line up with each other. So uh, we will go through the dispensational premillennialist view first. So they 
favor a strict, literal interpretation of the Bible, as we've said earlier. They view that if God's word says it, then it's got to be true. They don't uh, take into consideration um, metaphors or any sort of descriptive understanding of text. It's a strict, literal view. Then when it comes to Israel and the church, their views of the church and Israel are two distinct identities with two individual redemptive plans. The rapture of the church, the church is raptured before a seven-year tribulation, as we had mentioned earlier. This tribulation period uh, will contain the reign of the Antichrist. Now, they look at this seven-year tribulation. This is actually being pulled out of the 70th week of Daniel, which is covered in Daniel 9, 24 through 27. Text that we'll get into probably much deeper as we look at Old Testament eschatology. Now, the millennium view, uh, Christ will return at the end of this great tribulation to institute his thousand-year rule for a holy city, the New Jerusalem. Those who come to believe in Christ during the tribulation period, as I had mentioned, that there will be people um, that do come to Christ during this tribulation, uh, will survive and go and populate the earth during this millennial reign. So this is where it gets a little interesting. Those who were raptured and raised in the previous tribulation period will reign with Christ over the millennial population. Uh, there is some thoughts behind this particular frame of time around those who are saved during the tribulation and survive till the end and enter with Christ into this thousand-year reign. Uh, they will be allowed to continue to um, marry and populate the world. Then, during the second rebellion of the beast, those who reject Christ, you know, who were born during this millennial reign, will then face judgment. So it's um, kind of has this uh, tone of more rebellion during this millennial reign. I, I've heard that view prior, which is, again, why I don't think I necessarily settle on the dispensational premillennialist view, but I try to stay unbiased and just bring the facts to this one. So miscellaneous thoughts on this, uh, so higher degrees of interpreting present-day events in light of end-of-times prophecy. Um, literally, these individuals in these camps will um, jump the gun at any significant event that happens within Israel, happens within the United States, because some people even will interpret the United States as being um, talked about in Scripture, and they will hold that anything significant that happens between these two countries or some uh, a country in the Middle East, or even maybe a popular world leader that comes up, they jump and are, are just going after that this is the Antichrist or this is the event or we're getting close to a rapture type moment. Uh, the millennial uh, millennialum will see the reestablishment of temple worship and sacrifice as a remembrance to Christ's sacrifice. So that's another view is that they uh, hold strict to a third building of the temple. So that is another thing that as sometimes rumors scatter coming out of Israel that a temple 
is being planned on being built or there was one I read a few years ago that um, Pharisees uh, and rabbis were being trained in temple sacrifice and uh, they were, or for instance, like I remember a big deal was made because like a red heifer or a red cow was born. I mean, there's like all of these weird things that go into this that um, build up this viewpoint. So from the millennium ending white throne judgment, which Satan and all the unbelievers will be thrown into like a fire, Christ and the saints will proceed into eternal glory. So that, again, shows this view that those who are populating the world um, and turn out to end up not being believers in Christ during his millennial reign will then be cast into the lake of fire. So some of the people that are big um, proponents to this, uh, big people, uh, some names that really favor this, um, is, uh, Charles Riley. I hope I said that right. Norman Geiser, Dwight Pentecost, Charles Stanley, uh, Chuck Musler, Chuck Smith, um, a couple of the other names I'm not real familiar with, uh, Lewis Berry, Schaefer, John Wolverd. Also, Wayne Grudem is a big proponent as well. So, as we understand this particular view, um, there's actually a couple things that um, have really made this popular. Uh, Hal Lindsey's 1970s bestseller, The Late Great Planet of Earth, and of course, Tim LaHaye's Left Behind. Uh, him and Jerry Jenkins wrote this massive series called Left Behind. I think there's 12 or 13 books in it, and they kind of go through all of these different phases, as I listed earlier, the 1 through 11, the rapture, the sign of the uh, the rise of the Antichrist, the seven-year tribulation, and each book kind of depicts the um, viewpoint, if you would. So that's, again, um, when I was a new believer... I bought into that hook, line, and sinker. I read all the books. Um, I was like, oh, man, this is exactly what's going to happen at the end of times. This was so well laid out. And it like followed through scripture because I was reading Revelation. I'm like, oh, this stuff just makes so much sense. And and it, if you look at it from a very literal interpretation without any um, unpacking to scripture, uh, the Left Behind series can make sense to people. And I can see why this has become quite a popular uh, viewpoint for many um, Christians, many people who are even new in the faith, like I was. Uh, this was a very popular thing. But dispensational premillennialism is a very complex chronological view of the end of times. Uh, it argues that the church, the current church age, will end with this rapture, right? So that's where we stand. Those who are in this camp holding on to this view that the church is going to end and will be all of the believers will be raptured out. So they, in a sense, are not concerned about a seven-year tribulation or persecution or anything like that. Uh, and they base this off of First uh, Thessalonians 4, verses 15 through 17, which reads, according to the Lord's word, we tell you that we tell you that we 
who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and the trumpet call of God, and the dead of Christ will rise first. After that, we will still, we who are still alive will be left and are left, will be caught up together with him in, in the clouds and meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. So that's the uh, popularist view of the rapture. And that's where the dispensational will plant their flag and say, this is the end of the age. This, these two verses signify that Christ will take his church with him and all the believers will go, and then this will reign in the appearance of the Antichrist, which will then mark the beginning of the seven-year tribulation on earth. Um, the dispensational premillennialist will also believe that God has a place for both natural Israel, as Paul writes in Romans 11, 28, and 29, and the church, as viewed as the quote-unquote faithful Israel, as noted in Revelation 7.4. The dispensational premillennial states that during this current age, Jews must accept Jesus as their Lord and Savior before Christ can return in glory and establish his millennial reign. So this is also another thing that they hold to um, a quote-unquote remnant of individuals, uh, of Jews that have held over uh, that will accept Christ and uh, at the end of times. Now, there is obviously Jews that will not in this view, and they will fall into the camp of unbelievers. So then during this time, during the millennium, Christ will sit on the throne of David and rule the world from Jerusalem. Israel will be given a place of honor among the nations again, and the temple will be rebuilt with temple sacrifices reinstated as memorial sacrifices. The modern dispensational form of the premillennialism traces its roots back to the 1800s with John Nelson Darby, who the popularization of the Schoolfield ref Reference Bible and on the academic level with Lewis Sherry Chafer's eight-volume Systematic Theology. So those are some of the um, roots if you would, to this particular viewpoint. So to continue on a lot, of, like again, I, I want to try to keep from repeating myself, but to really lay this forward, um, it's it, it probably will sound like some of these points are being repeated, but the premise is to understand how the dispensational will view the end of times and how does that align in their view and understanding of Scripture? So, again, they have probably the strictest of all four views when it comes to Scripture. This earthly kingdom of God from which Christ will reign, the future redemptive plan for a natural uh, Israel, a national Israel, I'm sorry, a seven-year period of great tribulation, and then the rejection of the prophetic idiom. So, the biggest things when you examine this, the scriptures that they use is that they will pull from, from the book of Daniel, uh, chapter 9, verses 27, to build on their premise of a seven-year tribulation. Uh, and then they obviously look to Revelation 
20 for their thousand year period. Uh, during this time, uh, Christ will reign on the throne of David, which is a reflection out of Luke chapter 1, which reads, He shall be great, and he shall be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. So immediately previous to the time of the Great Tribulation, all the dead saints will rise from their grave, and all the living members of the church shall be caught up with them to meet Christ in the clouds. This is talked in 1 Corinthians 15, 51 through 52, which reads, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall be changed in the moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. And then obviously I just read 1 Thessalonians a few minutes ago because that is the, the text that they will use for the rapture. Um, during this time of tribulation, there will be three and a half years of where the world will know peace. So the first three and a half years of the tribulation under the rule of the Antichrist, um, there's peace across the land. This is reflected out of Daniel 7, 8 and Revelation 13, 1 through 8. Uh, he will establish a world church, which is um, based upon Revelation 17 followed by the three and a half years of great suffering. And this is going now to Revelation 6 through chapter 18. At the end of this period, Christ will return. Matthew 24 and then Revelation 19. He will judge the world. Ezekiel 20, Matthew 25, Jude 1, verses 14 and 15. Bind Satan for 1,000 years, Revelation 20, and then raise the Old Testament and tribulation saints from the dead, Daniel 12, Revelation 20. So as you can see, this is kind of the, the this is the dispensational layout. This is more the in-depth, here's the scripture to supply this viewpoint. As they continue, at this time, the millennial reign will begin and Christ will reign politically over the earth at this time, and his capital is going to be in Jerusalem. This is from Isaiah 2.3. Throughout his reign, there will be no war, Isaiah 2.4, and even the natures of animals will dwell in harmony, Isaiah 11. At the end of this era of peace, Satan will be uh, released and instigate a colossal but futile rebellion against God, as Revelation 20.7-9 says. Actually, let's read those verses for context. And when the thousand years are expired, Satan will be loosed out of his prison, and he shall go out and my mouse, go out and deceive the nations which are in the four quarters of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together in battle, the number of whom is in this as the sand of the sea, and they shall and they went up from the breadth of the earth, encompassed the camp of saints about and beloved city and fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. So that is looking at the final fate of Satan. After this, uh, he will be cast into the lake of fire as revelation 20 10 states and the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. While the righteous proceed into eternal state in the realm of new heaven and the new earth, as Revelation 20, 
uh, versus one state. So there are um, plenty of things in this that seems like, according to scripture, makes sense. Right? The dispensational literally has this massive interpretation of the text. And according to them, this is how everything is going to unfold. And they literally just go through. But what I, I guess my argument against it, just as from a high level and beginning to unpack this stuff, is they're taking a lot of text from a lot of different places, single verses or two verses from here, and they're calling it doctrine. And so I'm not quite convinced yet that this is a sound position to take on the end of times. Uh, that could very well change as we get into uh, the other views. But I am not convinced yet that the dispensational um, premillennialist view is what we should be holding on to. Don't agree with. There will be arguments that um, don't flow in the manner that we think it should flow because this is all based upon what our personal hermeneutics is. So uh, while I may not be convinced, you may well be, and that's perfectly fine. My goal in this series is simply to unpack what I've uncovered in my studies and hope to um, address and clarify some maybe misconceptions um, or some misunderstandings of the viewpoints and just hope that I can bring these together in light for your better understanding. So again, while I may not always agree with it, that is just my personal interpretation, um, my personal hermeneutic, my personal view. Uh, I'm just not sold. But that doesn't mean that you can't be, and I don't want to discourage you, if you are uh, dispensational, from believing it. Um, I, it, it is definitely a um, well-thought-out system. There's a lot of scripture that they use to bring together, to connect to this view. Um, and I hope as I continue going through this series um, and unpacking the text that we get to start to see how a lot of these views really do come together. Because this is, you know, these four episodes are really just kind of uh, a high-level approach. They're just a high-level view so that we can understand what it is, really in a nutshell, what they hold to, what they believe in. So, uh, I, again, my personal interpretation, definitely not one that should be um, discouraging you, the listener, if you hold to this and, uh, and continue to study and, and build a better foundation for it. So now we're going to look at some objections to the premillennialist, the dispensational view. Uh, and then we will, looks like we will open part two of this episode with the historic premillennialist view. So from a perspective, just coming out of myself, I think my first objection or first issue I would have is kind of the collection, if you would, of all of the pieces of scripture that I feel are being pulled out of context and used in terms of, you know, an end of times type view. Now, 
anybody who believes in a rapture uh, or those who are uh, oppose the rapture, the first defense that they would always present is, well, the rapture is not actually in the Bible. And it's true, the rapture isn't. Uh, but there are people who will argue uh, the language of it and use the words that caught up or actually, you know, what the meaning of rapture is. And But I'm not going to go down that rabbit hole. Uh, I don't or won't argue for or against whether the word rapture itself is in Scripture. That, I think, is just a mere pebble, if you would, to understanding some of these views. I think my bigger piece that I'm looking at in terms of, like, um, the objections that I've witnessed in this view really reside in the understanding of the book of Daniel. And they pull a lot of text to build off of, like, their seven-year tribulation, the 70th week of Daniel. Uh, they go down that that rabbit hole, if you would, and, and really try to um, create a position out of that. So to position itself in Daniel in the proper context, though he does have this prophecy, uh, some argue that instead of it being the second coming of Christ, it's actually pointing to the exact time and circumstances surrounding the first advent, not the second. Uh, further context is found in 1 Corinthians 15, 23 through 25, and verses 50 through 54 in chapter 15. Uh, indicates a simultaneous second coming and final judgment. So then the argument goes, then, what about the rapture? Uh, is the rapture secret or not? Post-millennialists, which we will get into, believe in a rapture. Um, they just do not believe in the dispensational view. So obviously every view that we are going to encounter is going to oppose the other views. All four have opposing positions of how the rapture takes place. If it even happens, where does it go into this line of things? So uh, they view it as not a secret. Uh, it will occur seven years prior to the future millennium. So as we unpack post-millennialism, we can see how that will actually create a bigger objection to the pre-millennialist view. Uh, there are a couple others, uh, blogs and sites out there that talk about the um, pre-millennialism and objections to the dispensational pre-millennialist um, there's a blog that uh, that was written a couple of years back, and I'm just going to kind of list the objections that he clarifies on that. Uh, objection number one is it's a theological innovation that has no recent origin. Um, it cannot be traced any further back than 1830. Uh, then he goes into um, his particular defense of that because he's answering these objections. Objection number two Terms such as the rapture used by dispensational premillennials are not found in the scripture. Uh, and this, he goes, I'm just going to kind of clarify this because um, for future episodes, uh, he says that this does backfire on him uh, in the first place, even if we do concede for the sake of the argument, the term is not found in, Bible, in the Bible to render the use of the term is invalid. Uh, it must be proven that the concept the term is used to describe is not found in the Bible either. So, um, to 
as we looked at the text from First Thessalonians, the calling up is uh, a term that would reflect this. But you know, then he goes on to also um, mention that if we use that mindset to reject the word rapture, then we would have to reject Trinity. Biblical inerrancy, total depravity, unconditional election, and limited atonement, because none of those terms are found in Scripture either. So, um, kind of points the arguments into other arguments as well. Uh, those who hold on to a dispensational premillennial eschatology are theologically naive and uneducated. Which I tend to find now as I really review this position, um, not necessarily true, and he breaks down that argument a little bit and defensive against the naive claim. I mean, as we look at all of these, these are extremely complex systems. These are not just something that somebody thought up overnight. This isn't something that, you know, um, a lay person put together and said, oh, this is what the church believes now. I mean, these are complex systems that theologians have spent a very long time coming together now whether the the span of understanding is shorter than others that's can almost be really irrelevant because as we you know the end of times is a system that is complex and takes a lot to understand people devote devote their entire lives to understanding this and so i would say you know completely in support of the fact that this system, as in all of the systems, takes a um, complex understanding. It is not an easy system. We, you know, Those who hold to it are not naive or uneducated. They are rather intelligent individuals, as I listed some theologians earlier. Uh, this is a complex understanding of the way the end of times. And... You know, just because they take a literal view of the prophecies in Revelation doesn't mean that it's necessarily wrong because there is some stuff that you know can be taken literal and there's some stuff that should be understood as an analogy or a metaphor or it paints a picture of something else is what a metaphor does. But we have to come to an understanding that this isn't something that you can read a book and then be fully educated on it's not something that you're going to listen to this podcast and be fully educated on it's not something that you're going to you know watch a movie a documentary a youtube video please don't watch youtube videos on end of times but you're not going to get all of the understanding there are tons of books out there dedicated by some great authors that help explain these um so i will list one of them in the show notes for this episode because uh, it's one that I've gone through and um, used as uh, support. So please invest the time if you are interested in this view, or just to even learn more about it, by all means. Dig into the book, dig into all sorts of books, and look at Scripture and how it all reflects, and uh, then challenge your hermeneutics and see if it fits into that scope. Uh, objection number four dispensationalists promote an antinomial moral view. This is key argument in Grissner's critique on dispensational, wrongly dividing the word of truth. So this was kind of what I was saying earlier at how they pull in various texts and argue from 
things that are, seem to be out of context and out of place. Uh, and then the uh, final objection that he addresses is dispensationalists promote multiple ways of salvation, uh, which I could see that as well, because if you're looking at their, as you know, we went through all of that text a little bit ago, um, and we kind of unpacked their full view, it feels like there's, you have one chance at salvation before the rapture, then you have another chance of salvation during the tribulation, and then you have another chance of salvation during the historic, uh, during the millennial reign. So it feels like you have multiple points. It doesn't mean that there's multiple ways to salvation in regards to other channels to Christ or heaven or salvation, but it's different time frames that people can come to Christ instead of a one chance and done. Like, this is your life, this is the chance you get, come to know Christ, and either before you die or before the church, you know, the church is removed. After that, nothing happens, or no, no further chances are allowed. So that is actually an interesting perspective, which we will be unpacking um, a little bit as we progress further into this series. So uh, again, I will try as we unfold these episodes, I will put up hopefully simple charts to help us understand the greater um, positioning of how this particular view views the end of times. Um, so for instance, to recap the premillennialist dispensational viewpoint, the dispensational premillennialist, if you would, view um, on a timeline, we've got the cross at uh, circa 30 AD, and then we've got, according to this chart, interestingly enough, post 2000, since we are in 2020, um, circa 20, circa 2000, uh, which can be any time period in this, you know, after or around. Uh, they have the rapture of the church, they have the tribulation seven years, the battle of Armageddon, we have the great white throne judgment in that time frame as well, then the thousand years of Christ's reign and the temple being rebuilt, and then the second resurrection and final judgment casting into the pit of hell. So interestingly enough, uh, if you were big into the Left Behind series, they actually put the re, um, they put the building of the temple into the time frame of the tribulation. But during the thousand years, that is where Christ will sit and reign from. So it's not being the temple being built in that time frame. The temple's built during the tribulation time, those seven years. So that is hopefully a semi-understandable walkthrough of the dispensational premillennialist view. As I said, it's one that is a very literal view of, uh, of the end of times. It takes everything literally, but then it also looks across multiple Bible verses to support its view and to help understand and clarify their position. Uh, and all views will do this too. This isn't just related to the dispensational position. All views are going to look at any sort of text that talks about end of times, the you know the coming of the, the Antichrist or the 
rapture of the church, things like that. So all all views are going to hold, and but they're just going to interpret those texts differently. So that is dispensational premillennialism. Now we will look at historical premillennialism in part two. So ladies and gentlemen, stay tuned for that episode. It will come out next week. I hope that this is understandable. I know it's a lot to take in, but I will hopefully have a couple charts, as I mentioned, that will help explain this a little bit further and will make it very easy to understand. It won't be a, a chart with a ridiculous amount of text plastered into it that makes it hard to understand. You won't have to pinch and zoom type thing. I will make it as simple as possible, and I hope that uh, this is a edifying series for you. So next up on the chopping block is the historic premillennialism, and then we will look at amillennialism and postmillennialism as well in the coming weeks. So ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much. I hope you have a wonderful week. God bless. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.